So the book of Nehemiah, uh, as we've been talking about the, the last um, three or four weeks, it is a lesson, Lord, it's a lesson in uh, spiritual warfare. They're building the temple, or rather they're building the walls around the temple, and this is going this is something that's going to greatly strengthen God's people because it's going to pro- provide security for people within the city to be able to hear the word of God which we will be hearing about really really soon and as a result there was great spiritual attack against the city and we saw that in chapters 4 5 and 6 that uh, the different kinds of spiritual warfare, um, fear, distraction, sacrificing the best for the good, just the deception of, of um, the, the, the enemy coming in with an offer of peace where it was really uh, something that was deception. And, and, and you know, Jesus does say um, to his disciples, he says, watch and pray. Not only pray, but watch. And speaking of that discernment that is needed, particularly in a time where just a great work is being done, is this from God or is this from the devil? And in verse 15 of chapter 6, it says that the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. So the wall is finished. And so important that you understand that oftentimes the biggest uh, attack by the, the devil will be after a successful ministry is done. It will be uh, after a church service like last Sunday where the Lord was working um, in a great way uh, at the service. It will happen after where uh, the devil will just try to, to come in and attack. And um, it's so important. I, I, it just in my own uh, prayer journal, I, I have this prayer, Lord, please, please. Uh, Whenever things are going well at a service or wherever, um, if there's a multiplication of souls, if you're moving, um, I pray, show me the way to the low place. To, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the manner in which, of which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, because it's that when things are going well where we are most susceptible to pride, and when, we're, uh, when, when, when pride comes in, we're blinded, and all kinds of uh, things can happen that will lead to the downfall of us. And so the better things get in your life, the more you get on your face and you cry out to God, have mercy on me. Have mercy upon me. And so we see right after they finished the wall in 52 days, the enemy just doesn't give up and go away. Oh, wow, they won. I'm just going to give up and go to the next person. No, it says, and it happened, verse 16, when of chapter 6, when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So their enemies, they didn't say, oh, this is a God thing. Let's all become Christians or convert to the God of Jeho- Jehovah, the Jews. No, it, 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 they became very disheartened. They became even more angry. And it says in verse 17, and in those days, and I take this to mean after the walls were finished, 
The nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. In other words, important, influential people who were Jews were consorting with the enemy. Influential Jews were consorting with the, uh, uh, the enemy. I, uh, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 13 says, warn a divisive person one time, the second time have nothing to do with them. They're not doing that with the divisive person. They're, they're, it says their letters are going back and forth with these people, um, with Tobiah, who's an enemy of everything that's going on. Verse 18, it's even, it says, for many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the, the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jeho, Jehoahanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, meaning Tobiah, who was not a Jew, he worshipped pagan gods, they had married into his family. And so there were sort of, you know, there were, uh, here, here the devil's lurking, he's, he's stirring up these relationships, he's not, he's, he's not wanting uh, the work of God to move forward, and uh, that, you know, they could have, that time, it says they were pledged to him, um, because they were intermarried with his family, but they didn't have to be pledged to him to be intermarried with his family. Like, you, remember how uh, Jesus says, Un -un unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sister and children and, and father-in-law and son-in-law, you cannot be my disciple. That, now, that has to be taken in context for sure, because the Bible says that we are to love everyone, love your neighbor as yourself, the neighbor's everyone, father, mother, brother, sister, we need to love them, but when we treat them as an idol, and we, uh, well, you know, I, I know they're um, coming against the work of God, but, you know, I, I still need to join myself to them. No. And so, but, so here you see the, the devil doesn't give up just because the wall is done. And so when God uses you in a great way to lead someone to God, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, pray for someone, to counsel someone, and, and you leave the counseling, you've counseled someone, and you're like, whoa, I, I need to be nominated for counselor of the month in, in, in Christian magazine. That's what we do. Those thoughts come into my mind. No, it was the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with you or me. And, and, and don't, don't do that because when you harbor those kind of prideful thoughts, that's where the devil comes in. That's exactly what he wants. Verse 19, also they reported his good uh, the, his good deeds before me and reported my words to him and, and, and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So even after the walls were done, you have this guy still sending letters to intimidate him. To intimidate him and to bring fear. Fear is, uh, I tell you, it's enemy number one of faith. Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It says, and the good news is that all it takes is a mustard seed of faith to put one foot in front of the other, Ephesians 2.10, and just walk in what God has called you to do. doesn't matter what kind of fear that is buzzing around in your head, you put one foot in front of the other with that mustard seed of faith. Sometimes that's all we got. We got to continue on. And our faith is in what? It's not in ourselves. It's in the promise of God. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Ver chapter 7 says, Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had uh, been appointed that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So the, uh, the two things I just want to bring out now, there's, there's a whole sermon there in, in verse 2, but uh, I want to just go to verse 1. Uh, that notice, notice this, after the, wo the, the work was finished and when the gatekeepers, 
The singers and the Levites had been appointed gatekeepers. You could say the equivalent of ushers. Singers um, were, were, were put in place. The, the, the Levites, meaning the workers who were sort of in charge of uh, the work of the temple, I, I do tell you that, that worship is so important, says the singers. Here you see the priority of singing to the Lord. And it's always amazing uh, to me in Colossians chapter 3 where, you know, he, he, he's going through some just incredibly important things there. Uh, Paul is in Colossians chapter 3 uh, that uh, he's talking about, um, he, he's just talking about the importance of, of putting on uh, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, uh, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, uh, just as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above, above all these things, put on love. Next verse says, and be at peace with one another. And then he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And, 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 and he says, teaching and, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God loves you to sing to him. If you're sick of the songs that you've listened to uh, 174 times, go find new ones. There's plenty of stuff out there. And the wonderful thing about Christianity, God's always putting new songs in musicians' hearts. There, there's new stuff all the time, and then there's the, uh, even better. Go back to the old stuff, which is uh, so good. I was listening last night to. Um, take everything to God in prayer. And um, uh, listening to like three versions of, of that song. But verse two, notice, so he gives over charge of Jerusalem to, uh, to two people, his brother Hanani, and then this guy named Hananiah. And he, he says, um, Hananiah was what? A faithful man, not number one, and number two, and he feared God more than many. So just notice the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the nations that are struggling so much with corruption, the one thing that they lack so much is a fear of God. Yeah, I talk about this with Pastor Serge all the time. And he's, he's really interested in the United States because it was founded by people who actually feared God. And he recognizes that in Haiti that the, the people don't trust the institutions of government like finance and justice and just the military uh, and... and and they don't trust the institution because there's no fear of God there. Of course, we're losing it at an incredibly fast pace in our country, but what is the fear of God? It means when you are by yourself and no one is looking, do you have a recognition that there is a God who you're going to get a whole lot more in trouble with than you could ever get in from a man and, and for that reason, you do the right thing. You do the right thing in secret. And so it, it, in the, it, 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 it's just the amazing thing that can happen in a country when there is revival for Jesus Christ and the government starts getting populated with people in the institution of government that actually fear him. You will see great change um, in those countries the, the elders and I just read this book, and I've already mentioned it, but on, on, on England before the revival in the 1700s and England after the revival, and it's absolutely stunning um, what happened. What, but it, what was in place before but after when the government started getting populated by men of God and the voting populace, they feared God too. It was amazing what happened. And so... 
he put in place a faithful man who feared God more than many. Verse 3, I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch, watch station and another in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. And so you have the gates, you have Jerusalem inside, with very few people living in the city. And uh, we're going to see what's going to happen later. Nehemiah has an idea. He's going to do something to, to, to populate the, the, the city. And, uh, but it's a vulnerable place right now. And so the gates were actually closed until the sun of, uh, was hot, which I, I don't know what time that is. Maybe it's, it's 10 a.m. It's... Um, Maybe it's 11, maybe it's, it's noon, and uh, he's guarding the city. There's wisdom here. Um, he's, he's making sure that the city is, he understands that the devil comes in after the victory, sometimes more, with more gusto and, 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 uh, with more gusto and, and sort of just violence and, and, and more force than, than ever. And so he's still guarding the city now. In verse 5 it says, Then my God put into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and I found written in it. And he lists all the people um, who were in this genealogy. And uh, it's the same registry, it's the same genealogy as in Ezra chapter 2. These are all the people who came up first with Zerubbabel. Remember that there was um, a few different regatherings into Jerusalem. I just went, I just am finishing up Jeremiah, and, and when Nebuchadnezzar had come in and defeated them, he came in three times, and when he finally came in and defeated them, uh, even the people that were left, it says they went to Jeremiah and said, Should we stay here and go to Egypt? We'll do whatever you say. And, and Jeremiah says, stay here. And they said, well, we don't believe you. And they went to Egypt. Even the few people who were left, even they took off. And so after Jeremiah's prophecy, which said that the exile would last 70 years, and after 70 years that the Jews would come back, there were a couple different waves of people coming back. The first wave was under Zerubbabel. This is the first, the, these are the first set of people who came back. Why is it listed here? Uh, m most commentators will say this. It's because we're going to see later he's going to use the descendants of these people to, uh, to, to actually repopulate Jerusalem. And he wants to know exactly who is there. So he's going to go out to them and call them. And he's going to say, some of you from each of these families, you need to leave and you need to come into to Jerusalem. That's going to be, that's going to come up later. So now, uh, in chapter 8, so the, the, the walls are finished and you have this extraordinary chapter, chapter 8 here, a complete shift from everything that we've been talking about up to now. The best possible thing that could have happened, happened. It says in verse 1, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law, 
before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Ilkiah, and Messiah, and all at his left, Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathiah, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azra, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Okay, so here you have, here what you have is the people in verse 1, notice they gathered together as one man, and it said, they told Ezra to bring the book of the law, and they told him to read it. So you actually have the people with a desire to hear the word of God. It says there um, that at the end of verse 3, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And uh, there can hardly be a better thing to have happened at this time. If you don't understand the word of the Lord, you are just going to be fodder for the devil you can get all stirred up in, with excitement. Wow, I finished this thing in my life. I'm going to honor God. You know, this great thing. Maybe you finished a great thing at work. Maybe you finished a great thing at church. Maybe you, uh, uh, you're just excited. But if you don't add to your excitement a steady diet of the Word of God, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be uh, roadkill. You're going to be like, you know, you're, you're driving up a, a New Hampshire uh, route whatever A. <laughs> what's, a what's a New Hampshire uh, country road? You're going to be on Kangamonis Hamish and you're going to see whatever, a dead deer or a dead bird or, or whatever. That's what's going to happen to you. Satan is going to chew you up and he's going to spit you out. The best possible thing that happened here happened. The Lord, someone had been praying. Someone had been praying for these people. This just doesn't happen. People pray for this to happen. Some men and women of God were praying and they prayed and they interceded, Lord, give these people a hunger for the word of God. And the people, it says, they gathered as one man and said, we want to hear the word of God. I'm telling you, that is a, that's a miracle. That just doesn't happen. The, 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 the Holy Spirit had, had, had brought this and they told Ezra, bring the book, bring the word of God. 
So it wasn't, you know, from time to time I hear, let's, let's just worship the Lord um, at our Sunday morning services and sing the, um, the entire time. Or let's just pray the whole time. Uh, no, the, if you don't bring, introduce the word of God, um, you, it's just a, to your prayer and also to your singing, it is just a, rep, uh, it's a recipe for shallow behavior that you're going to be like, it says in Ephesians 5, like kids who are tossed to and fro by every single wind of doctrine. And you're going to be defeated. You're not going to stand. And so they ask him, they say, uh, please bring the book. Can you imagine? This, this is apparently this coming from the, the people. They're telling him. This isn't Nehemiah. This is the people. Get Ezra here. And, and, and you know, I think personally, I don't know, but I think it's because they're fearing. So because someone has prayed, and, 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 and instead... Someone has prayed for them, first and foremost, get these people to have a desire and a thirst for the Word of God. And so they're, they're in a place of fear because their enemies are, are still strong. Remember what we read at the end of chapter 6. Tobiah was still sending letters to frighten them. We're going to attack you. Uh, just wait. And, and remember... The, the, the enemies were coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And, it, and, and there's two reactions to fear. There's one reaction is to start doing what they did in the book of Exodus. And it's like, what are we doing here? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Babylon. It was really comfortable there. That king was the king of the whole empire. We were really safe there. Um, and, and just ridiculous nonsense like that. Or we got to turn to God, and they turned to God here. They said, we, just someone, read us the law, please. Ezra, read us the law. And it says, then he read from it in the open square, at verse 3, that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. So morning until midday would have been about four to six hours of hearing the word of God. Now on Sunday, I talked about a, a Philippians 1 verse 10, which says, approve the things that are excellent. Meaning, make decisions about your life of what really matters. And what really matters is the reading of the word. Now, I, I said that doesn't mean that th this word uh, this verse that says approve the things that are excellent doesn't mean that you read the Bible and pray all day and do nothing else. But I did say, I did qualify that. Do you remember what I said? What did I say? After I said this doesn't mean that you have to read the Bible and pray all day, every day. But I did qualify that statement. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will give you a sticker I will give you five stickers, and I'll bring them next week if you get it right. I, I have to go out to the store now and buy stickers and put them on Guillermo's um, head. That doesn't mean you never do that. From time to time, you need to do that. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's a few times a year. You go, and you read the Bible, and you pray all day. And, 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 and there could be nothing better that you can do with your, with your life than from time to time. And I get life's really difficult. Maybe you can only do this once a year or something. But, but, but this is what they did here. They were sat and listened to the word for, for four to six hours. And I'm telling you, um, they, God pours out his blessing on you when you do this, this kind of thing. It says at the end of verse 3, they were attentive to the book of the law. At 9.30 a.m. prayer, this is what we're praying. Lord, bring people into the service that are, that, that are thirsty for the word of God. Strip away everything else and have them come in and pay attention to the word. And I've got to tell you, it is absolutely amazing and encouraging how focused people are 
every single Sunday morning. It's just crazy. Where you have almost the whole room just focused on the Word of God. It's very, very encouraging. But it's born out of prayer. Someone's praying. Someone's praying for that because that's supernatural. That's not the, that's not the, um, that's not the flesh. The flesh doesn't come to church and, well, I just really well, I want to pay attention to the Word. You know, the flesh is going, ah, I want to be somewhere else, whatever. I've told this story many times. I'm sorry for you who have heard it 16 times. But very, very early on in the church, there was a guy, I'd never seen him before. He was, he was halfway through the sermon. He was sleeping. Um, and he was sleeping, and uh, I was looking at him sleeping, whatever, and then after the sermon, this guy runs up to me and he has this really happy face and he says, yeah, man, I came on a night flight from California. I arrived this morning at 6 a.m. and I was just so psyched to come to church and hear the word of God. It was just so encouraging to me. And it was the last time I ever thought badly of anyone who was falling asleep because, the, 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 because you know, I don't know where they're from, but uh, what's going on if someone's falling asleep, but they're there to hear the word of God. And, and, and I, I am encouraged when uh, every Sunday morning, really, it, it really is like that. But here they are, they're, they're attentive to the word of God. And so he's basically reading the whole book of the law here. Now, I'm about to do something I do about once every... How often, for those of you who have heard me for a long time, how often do I name the name of another pastor in a, in a critical light? How, do, how often do I do that? I see a zero there. I actually do it maybe five at once every five to ten years. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. So there's a man. His name is Andy Stanley. And he's, he's the son of Charles Stanley. And Charles Stanley just died a few months ago. He's a tremendous man of God, one of the be best teachers of the Word of God that the United States have, has ever known. I mean, I, I listened to a, a sermon of his a couple months ago, uh, no, uh, one month ago, and I'm like, I can't believe how gifted this guy is. This is absolutely incredible. And then I sent the message to, to, to Kenny and, and another of other people like Freddie. I said, this is just incredible. It's on praying and fasting, in which he exhorts the people to fast for three days. And, uh, but anyway, there was conflict between him and his son, uh, but Andy Stanley, uh, people have been following his messages for years, and he, and, and again, the context here is he's saying, read the whole word of God, and I, one of the reasons that I don't like mentioning people's names is because I think you need to be very careful in your heart not to, not to judge him. God, God's going to deal with him. He's going to deal with this man, and I'll explain why. <laughs> so... Uh, but, but we need to understand, even a guy like Andy Stanley, we need to have our heart reach out to him because something, the death is at work in him. There's no doubt in my mind. And I know these are all very strong statements that none of you are used to me saying about another preacher. But anyway, he started talking a number of years ago and he, he said we need, to, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And um, he said that. And he, he I, I'm going to be, I'm just quoting, so I'm not seeing him out of context, just quoting. He says, I'm convinced for the sake of this generation and the next generation, we have to rethink our apologetic as Christians, meaning our defense of who we are, and, less, and the less we depend on the Old Testament to prop up our New Testament faith, the better because of where we are in this culture. I mean, that's just... That is just an outrageous statement. <laughs> what did Jesus do to prop up the people? What, what did he continuously, continuously quote? The Old Testament. 
But you know, I've I've always been a person. I I I I, I always defend these these type of guys, including him. I have saying, well, maybe he didn't mean that. But l let me just I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna quote him um, on some other things here. Alarmingly, in, in, in his podcast, Stanley questions whether Jesus actually meant his own references to Old Testament narratives to be taken as historical. He said, you know, a person has to decide when Jesus references the Garden of Eden or he references in the beginning God or he references Jonah, what does he actually mean? In recent years, Andy Stanley has encouraged getting over the Bible, getting over, quote, the Bible tells me so. He actually claimed in 2016 that the church veered into trouble when it began to make its arguments on the basis of the Bible. He cited deconversion stories in which people told him that they lost their Christian faith when they lost confidence in the Bible. He said, if the Bible is the foundation of your faith, here's the problem. It's all or nothing. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards religion. I mean, all of these, all of these are so outrageous. It's just, it's almost beyond belief. Can you imagine that? If the Bible is the foundation of your faith, your faith is a house of cards? Uh, I, I, I tell you, my faith has been, my entire foundation is on the Bible, and it's not a house of cards. It is one solid rock because of the, 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 the fact that um, I, I, the whole Bible has built up my faith. I'm, I'm going to continue quoting. He says, now for you and me, it's much easier for us to embrace the Bible as historically, but what about the 25-year-old or 35-year-old who comes to faith in Jesus and they start reading the Old Testament, they're kind of like looking, what, really? Well, you know, that's difficult, but that doesn't undermine my faith. And I would never press somebody to say, well, if you can't accept all the Bible as historically true, you can't really be a Christian. I think that's a little bit absurd. So, you know, I've spent the last 10 years, when Andy Stanley comes up to try to say, well, you know... Love believes all things. Let's not be too critical. Well, it's, it's, it's done. As you can tell, I'm finished with doing that. He's having a conference this weekend, and the theme of the conference is, it's called Unconditional Theme of the Conference is parents of, um, of kids who are in the uh, LGBT lifestyle, and he has three speakers. Two of them are men married to men. So it's done. That's where all that led him. That's where all that led him. When, when someone starts, it all, and, and so then, then there's a third speaker who is well-known advocate of same-sex marriage. And so when you have an issue with the Bible or any part of it, it's toxic your faith. It's just only going to be a matter of time until you believe anything. <laughs> It'll be a justification for believing anything. And I think that we should pray for the man, but we should also tell people have nothing to do with him. As a Christian leader, I need to tell people have nothing to do with this man. He, he is, he's dangerous and he's, he's, you know, he's, I'm not his judge, but he's wait, awaiting a judgment that I wouldn't want to be um, in his shoes. Here's the, here is the, here's the model here. And so, by the way, I'm doing this on a Tuesday night. The chances of me doing something like this on a Sunday morning are, are, are I, I think on a Sunday morning, it's going to probably take even more because I just think that kind of stuff is a distraction oftentimes on Sunday morning when you bring up people. Because then they're going to be thinking about Andy Stanley for the rest of the Sunday morning sermon. And, and, and I don't want you guys to do that. Um, and, and, and I hope you won't. But the point is, is he opened the Bible and he just was reading through all of it because 
he understood that that is what is going to establish that foundation. Your foundation is not a house of cards. If it was your foundation is built up by the Bible, your foundation is solid as a rock. You, you become, uh, really, um, you, you become a person who is able to live out what it says in, um, what it says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, My beloved uh, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How can you become, how can you become a, a man or woman of God who is immovable? Only by the word of God. And of course, there has to be prayer as well. But we need the word of God. We need to be filled with the word of God. It, it, it says here, uh, that uh, it says all the people stood up at the end of verse 5. You know, I, I, I have been accused before of being religious by making everyone stand up to read the Bible. I actually was confronted one time. It was a long time ago, and it was an isolated uh, time, but that, this is, that's so religious of you. You stand up for the reading of the Word. And, and, and I think I would be religious and legalistic if, if I looked at other churches and said, well, they're less of a church than we. I, I don't do that. If a church doesn't want to stand up, that, that doesn't mean they're anything less than us. But I do think it does something to you. Does it do something to you when you stand up? I hope so. That you're, you're, you're getting up and you're reading the word. It's like, yeah. Especially to a new person who is seeking. You know, in last Sunday's service, I got to tell you, there was a lot of people in that service with very little familiar with the Bible or church at all. At our Sunday morning service. But it does something like when, okay, get up and let's read this together. That does something to the soul, but it's true that we don't want to be legalistic about that. I didn't make you guys do that tonight or ask you guys. I never make anyone do it. Not everyone always stands up, but, but um, here he's doing, it says that every, all the people st stood up. What's kind of cool here is it doesn't really say they were ever asked to do it. It doesn't say they were asked to stand, uh, uh, to, to stand up. They just were like, whoa, this is good. I want to stand up right now because the Word of God. They had a thirst for the Word of God. I tell you, every time I'm in John right now, and every time I'm in John, I, every time I'm in John chapter 6, and, and I hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, that just does something to me. And then he goes on, of course, to say, and unless you feed off of me, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, uh, if, you, if you don't do that, you, you have no life in you. And, of course, a bunch of people left, a lot of people left. But what he's talking about is feeding off of Jesus Christ. Of course, that's not only the word of God. It's also prayer. and It's also crying out to him. But that's a big, big part of it. If you're trying to get through your day without being in the word of God, you're, 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 you're risking just becoming roadkill. You really are. And, and um, so he, he, he says in verse 6, and, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, uh, yes, answered, Amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. So they're doing all this stuff. They're lifting their hands, and they're uh, standing up, and it's all a spontaneous move of the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Holy Spirit inside of them yet. That's why the new covenant is called the better covenant. The last Sunday morning when we did communion, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Best part about that new covenant is we don't have to slaughter all those lambs. We have this Lord, the, 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 the Holy Spirit residing in, in, inside of us, and, and we can look back to Jesus and the cross to, to do what we could never do uh, in and of ourselves. It says, then all the people answered amen and amen while lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
So they're like standing up, they're like getting their face. It, it, it always moves me. I was also in Matthew uh, chapter 26 this, this past week. It always moves me when it says that Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane went away to pray and it says he got on his face on the ground and says, oh my father, if this cup, uh, he, said, he said, oh my father, let this cup, uh, if, if, it, if, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He, he, Jesus caught on his face. From time to time, we need to get on our face. And, and so this is like a, 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 an amazing time in the history of Israel here. And what a blessing, too, when you consider all the rebellion that we have read about in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and how that broke the heart of the Lord. Can you imagine what this is doing for the heart of God right here? Can you imagine that? Of how blessed he is. The Bible says in, uh, is it Psalm uh, 104, 105? It says, the Lord rejoices with his people. And he is rejoicing here for sure. And now verse 7 is really interesting. It says, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akbub, I read all the names, and the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So what is apparently going on is, is, is kind of like in our church. You have different people who know the word better than others in home groups and Bible studies and two seven groups explaining the word of God. So it wasn't just this religious thing. Let's just go through this religious thing. We're, we're told in Deuteronomy that we're supposed to hear the reading of the word. They're actually learning about it. They're helping the people to understand the law. Verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense. And number three, they helped them to understand the reading. So three things in verse 8. They read distinctly from the book, meaning they, 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 they read in a way that could be understood. understood. Anyone who is, who is taught uh, at our church from either this pulpit or Sunday morning pulpit will know that I'm always trying to get people to slow down when they read the Word of God especially, but also when they're talking, it's not only because we have translation and things like that happening, it's because everyone needs to hear what is being said. Uh, for your benefit, I'll just tell you, before anyone speaks from a pulpit here, I give them the four S's. Okay, see if I can remember the four S's. I, I, Dan, I won't put you on the spot. Remember what the four S's are? <laughs> Number one is slow. Reading slow. Number two is short, meaning don't have a really long sermon. And at Calvary Chapel, short means 40 minutes. <laughs> Um, number three is uh, stay close to the word. Stay close to it. Stay close to it. And wow, what is the, the fourth S? Short, slow, stay close to the word. Ah! Simple. Thank you. The, 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 last, the last S is simple. That, you know, teach like you're teaching to children. And because the Bible really is supposed to be taught in a way that is simple. And we really prefer that before someone teaches from a, adults at a Bible study or, or of course a pulpit that they teach Sunday school first. Uh, it needs to be those things. It says number one in verse eight, they, that it's read distinctly. And number two, um, it says that they gave the sense, meaning, so you read the word and then you give the sense, meaning 
What does it mean? What does this mean? So last Sunday, it's like, I pray that you approve things, the things that are excellent. What does that mean? And I, I, I hope that I helped you out by saying it means that you would make decisions to do what really matters in your life and that you would figure out what really matters. So that's giving the sense. And then number three, help them to understand the reading. And I would say that's application. So what's an application of that to my own life? So you understand, you, you've heard it, you, you've heard the verse, you understand what it means, but how do I apply that to my life? So even tonight, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, go, you know, maybe even if it's once a year, take four to six hours or the whole day to, to, to pray and, and read the Bible. That's application. That's helping with understanding. And so uh, that's what we do. Uh, that's what we do. Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught all the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the word of the law. And that really means that they were truly, their hearts were truly opened up to what the Bible was saying because they heard it and they were like, wow, we have fallen so short. And uh, we'll pick it up next week, but the next verse has this very, Famous verse, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, um, of course, there's, it's not a problem. In fact, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing when someone is weeping because they've realized how far short of the word of God that they're, um, that they have, that, that they're in. But if they stay in that place, it's not okay. It's not why Jesus died on the cross. For us to wallow in our guilt, for us to be thinking of all our shortcomings, that's not what, why Jesus hung on the cross and was covered with blood. He was covered with blood so that you would walk in joy in whatever circumstance in your life. And that's why the, begin, the end of the next verse says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm going to be talking about that this Sunday. The book of Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 